You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and today I'm joined yet again by my guy, Damian Bartnick. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm pretty excited. You know, just last week, I was thinking the Spurs would be going to the NBA Finals, but, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> reality hit me right in the face, and, uh, you know, we're not we're not there yet, but nah, in all seriousness, bro, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me, and I'm glad to be talking Spurs hoops. Yeah, so happy to have you. I mean, you've been here, I think this is your third time already, so clearly yeah, we yeah. like you. I like having you on. It's always <laughs> nice to have a back and forth. We've been off for about two weeks, almost three weeks now, so I'm really ready to record. Sorry to everybody who wanted more regular content. It's just been a busy time so we're recording today and as of right now it's about 2 p.m on wednesday or is it 3 p.m i'm sorry it's about 3 p.m on wednesday yeah, december 8th and we got a lot of topics so we'll go ahead and just jump right into this and let's go ahead and start by talking about san antonio's now defunct four-game winning streak how much of their success do you think was predicated on execution and improved play and you know how much did they benefit from shorthanded opponents scheduling and, and maybe a little bit of sheer luck I think it was a little bit of both. Obviously, I think that they executed better just in general in the in the broad scheme of things I think they did. But as well as we also know, like, for example, in that Boston game, they played a really, really good game when they, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they hold them for 40 points combined. Uh, it was a very low scoring game. But hey, you, I mean, in that game especially, you saw it was a game of runs. I thought maybe San Antonio was going to kind of fumble it at the end. They didn't. That was a huge sign, a huge uh, step forward. And uh, th- that game in particular, I was really happy about. I, you know, you could really see the growth there. But in general, I think overall they executed better. But, I mean, you have to you know bring the context into it. There were some injuries, especially the team that they played, uh, whether it was Lillard and, and Little out you know, against Portland, uh, Iguodala and Porter out on the second game of back-to-back. And the Warriors, you know, they couldn't – you know, I could shoot better than the Warriors on that night. You know what I mean? But in all seriousness, it was – it was a little bit of both, but you don't want to take away from the fact that they executed well because if they lost these games, it would be a little bit – it would be a, a shocker. It would be it would be bad if they lost these games. You know, games are supposed to win. So I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, I'm not, you know, too high or too low on their, their win streak. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was a little bit of both. And to continue talking about it, I mean, against Portland, they were missing Lillard and Little. And then at the very beginning of the game, Anthony Simons, pretty much their only other on-ball creator outside of uh, C.J. McCollum, you know, he went down in the first few minutes, so that was a huge hit to them. But San Antonio, you know, they, they got up by mo- almost 30. It went down to 12. They weathered the storm. They came back, and they ended up winning by 30. So, you know, I, I thought that that's something that you can't really discredit them, right, because they can only face who's in front of them. They don't get to choose who's in and out of games, but they can control how they respond to that. So I was happy with that. The only other thing that I thought, uh, you know, maybe helped them a little bit was some bad shooting nights and, like, Almost anomalies, right? You saw the Wizards, they shot 30.8% on wide open threes, and then you saw the Warriors shoot 31.6% uh, on wide open threes, and that was two of the three worst wide open three-point performances from a San Antonio Spurs opponent this season, and you know, most of the time those teams aren't going to miss that many wide open threes. I mean, it was 16 attempts, it was 19 attempts, so you know, if they hit those attempts, it's, it's, a, it's a very high percentage chance that the Spurs end up losing those games. But that's a hypothetical, right? I mean, the Spurs picked up the wins. It was nice to see them pick up some wins, build some confidence. But uh, overall, I think there were some good things as well. Do you want to talk about some of the other good things that we saw from them? You know, I I know that we kind of talked about some of the things that went in their favor, but I think it's important to address the things that they did well. Yeah, I want to kind of piggyback off your point about weathering the storm. That's a really significant point, in my opinion, uh, especially in that Boston game. 
because they, they got into a pretty big lead. Um, I forgot what exactly it was, but I remember tweeting like, man, at the snap of a finger in just five <laughs> minutes, it went from 20 plus to like seven or five or something like that. Like that's a really, it's, it's a, it's an important point to kind of think about because that's, that's pretty significant for these young teams, man. And that's across all sports, whether it's, you know, football, basketball, whatever it is, being able to weather the storm when you're playing, you know, teams that are respectfully more talented than you, that's pretty significant. So, I just want to elaborate on that a little bit because for this young group, and I've mentioned it so many times, like everyone's kind of drilled me for it because I'm like, hey, they're not going to win, but it's going to be fun, right? It's going to be fun. <laughs> and they're like, I don't see how it's fun. Well, here's the fun. Here's something that's actually really interesting and something that you should be paying attention to because in the long in the long term, stuff like this can really benefit their development. So I just kind of want to piggyback on that. I'll mention one thing that you have written here about Jacoperto, which is amazing. Yeah, he, he's a phenomenal rim protector. You know, thirty-five point four percent defensive field goal percentage across you know those four uh, those four games, and he, he he's a stud, man. I mean, uh, I think our, our our friend All Day Sport Talk mentioned how you know Jakob right when he came back. Uh, you know, it's no secret, you know, why the Spurs automatically, you know, started playing better. And that's a fact. I mean, Jakob is a really solid player. He's been really, really good this year. And he's one player that while DeJounte Murray gets the credit because he has the ball in his hand so much and he's, you know, dribbling it and, you know, pulling up or whatever it is, Jakob Pertl on that other end just holding it down for this entire unit. So, uh, Jakob Pertl, man, huge clap of hands for you. I would do it, but I don't want to, you know, hurt the listeners' ears. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's been their second best player, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, Derek White's important, and DeJounte Murray is obviously the number one key to them winning games. But Pirtle went out, and they were severely undersized. The talent gap between him, and no offense to Drew Eubanks or Thaddeus Young or Jock Landale or any of the other guys on the roster, but the talent gap between them and what he is able to do, it's, it's so wide. What he brings to the table is so huge. And so you saw it the second he came back. You know, they lost against Minnesota. That's a tough matchup to come back against against Carl Anthony Towns. Like, that's not a favorable matchup, and he went off, and that's fine. But you saw his impact following those games, and he was good for them. I mean, he has been really good for them since then. And I want to go back to something that you said. You were talking about how it's important for young teams to be able to really just dig in when things aren't going their way and find a way to win and will themselves to win. And I think when we think of clutch – most of the time we're thinking about like Kobe or DeMar DeRozan or LeBron James or Michael Jordan hitting a final shot. But I think clutch can be defined in several ways. And one of the ways in which the Spurs have been very clutch and maybe non-traditionally so is on the defensive end. Now, you look at their numbers in the clutch from player to player to player. They're not very good. They're, you know, their field goal percentage isn't super high. They're not committing a lot of turnovers, but they're not making a lot of buckets. But one thing that they have done is they've stopped other teams from scoring and we've seen them come up in the clutch. We mentioned it, you know, against the Celtics and the Warriors. They were up by more than 20 points in each of those games. The Celtics and Warriors both came roaring back. And it's like, oh, no, this young team's in trouble. But they weren't. You know, San Antonio responded. They answered with some really strong defense. And in those two clutch situations, they have a 55.7 net rating in both of those games. So that's huge. That tells me, one, they're not winning games with their offense because we talked about those numbers. Not great. But their defense, they have been shutting guys down. And let's go ahead and talk about some of the players on this team that have contributed to winning. Let's talk about Derek. Let's talk about DeJounte. I think they were really important to this winning streak. What are some of the things that you saw from them that you really liked? Yeah, I think Derek overall just... I, it's he just he's back. I think you can kind of say that now. He looks a lot more comfortable. 
I know in one of my last pieces I wrote for Pounding the Rock, I mentioned that maybe a move to the bench might be it for him. Maybe that's what he kind of needs. Well, he proved that I'm wrong, that I was totally wrong. It was kind of just a matter of time, a matter of minutes, a matter of moments, and he's finally back. Uh, I think that's kind of one of the biggest things is just his play on both ends, not even from an effort, just an overall just an effectiveness level is just better. It, it's where it should be. He just kind of, like I mentioned, he's just back to what he is. So I think I'll, I'll kind of focus on Derek a little bit. Just overall, he's, he's just been a, a completely different player. Even last night against the Knicks, 9 of 18 shooting. Uh, what was it, 26, 7 and 8 or 26? It, it was a really solid just, you know, stat, uh, st- uh, stuffing the stat sheet kind of performance. And it was all effective. There was no empty calories there. Um, so although they got the loss, they had the loss last night, Derek was really good. And he's been good over these last, you know, four or five games. Yeah, he's been good over the last four games. And you look at that four-game winning streak. And it finally seemed like the backcourt of him and DeJounte was starting to get on the same page. They averaged a combined 41.8 points per game, 15.3 rebounds per game, 13.5 assists per game. And you talked about their defense. We know what they bring on that end. So when they're performing at a high level, you know, neither of them are elite self-creators. Neither of them are guys who really pull up off the dribble from three at a super high volume or a super high level of efficiency. But when they're really hitting on all cylinders in the things that they are good at, They give San Antonio a chance to win. So I was really happy with what I saw from Derek, what I saw from DeJounte. And I think if they can continue to keep it up, San Antonio can remain competitive against, you know, maybe not the best competition coming up. And we'll talk about those games later. But I want to talk about one thing in particular when it comes to the latter of those two players, DeJounte Murray. All season long, we've heard from fans like, you know, this guy's got to be an all-star this year. This guy's got to be most improved player of the year. This guy, you know, he's all NBA or whatever. I don't know if I'm 100% on board with, you know, all NBA or superstar or, or like the guy who can carry you to, you know, the promised land of a championship. But let's be honest, DeJounte Murray has been really, really good for the San Antonio Spurs team. So while we're on the topic of DeJounte, let's go ahead and talk about whether or not he deserves to make an all-star team and what his uh, his odds look like in the Western Conference this season. So DeJounte's averaging a career high in points, rebounds, assists, deflections, steals, and minutes per game. And he leads San Antonio in each of those categories. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. And I don't think it's a fluke either. You know, we're, we're a quarter of the way into the season and he's doing this stuff. So I think he may have a good chance. But let's talk about who's in front of him. So there are only six backcourt openings for each conference. So in your opinion, who are the guys in front of him? Who are the guys who are, you know, locks to make those cuts? And is he part of that group? Yeah, I think right now, kind of to talk about DeJounte really quick, I agree, you know, he has been great. And I'm all for, you know, the the hometown guys, you know, making it to the the all pros or in the in football or the or the all stars in the NBA. I'm all for it. I mean, if you see my Twitter, you see I'm all about Terry McLaurin, get him to the uh, you know, the Pro Bowl <laughs> and this, that and the third. And DeJounte's in the conversation. Now, with that being said, you know, Steph Curry, Luca, Donovan Mitchell, John Morant, Devin Booker it seems like they could just they could they could play 20 games, sprain their ankle, be off of 15, you know, play another five, and they'll be in the All Star. Uh, so unfortunately, you know, Dejounte ain't gonna get over them. Not uh, from a skill level perspective, and just for uh, just a name value. Uh, some of the All Star is name value, and so unfortunately, he's probably not gonna get in for that. Uh, Chris Paul leads the league in assists. I understand that as well. Uh, and then even like younger guys, like whether it's SGA who's been out for a little bit, but uh, or De'Aaron Fox, you know, Anthony Edwards. It's really really tough to see him kind of make it over those guys. But that's not to say he's not having a good year or anything. It's just kind of the the, the game you play sometimes. Sometimes, although he is playing well in eighteen eight and eight, you know, he's definitely in the conversation. He's just not there yet. 
and and that's not just from a name perspective. I think it's from a play perspective as well. But that's not to say, he's, like I said, it's not to say he's not he's not playing well because he is. But there's still levels to this, and I don't think he's there just yet. Yeah, and, and we talked about Luca, Donovan Mitchell, Ja, Devin Booker. Those guys are locks. You mentioned how Chris Paul, you know, he may be a lock as well. He's engineered that Suns offense. So the second best team in the NBA, he's carrying them without Devin Booker. He's a guy who makes it perennially, right? Like, I don't expect him to not make the the game, you know? So that's five guys already. And I think while DeJounte has been more efficient while being less flashy than guys like Edwards or SGA or De'Aaron Fox, I don't know that he gets in just because there are guys like Damian Lillard there's a guy like uh, Russell Westbrook who, yeah, they haven't been super efficient. They haven't really impacted winning if you're watching the basketball. I mean, Russell Westbrook was nice last night against the Boston Celtics. He definitely helped them win. But he hasn't been great for the Lakers. But those guys have name recognition, right? And so, you know, the fans don't control as much of the starters as they used to. They yeah. used to have, like, complete control. Now it's only 50% of the vote goes to fans. But I still think that 50% is significant. And just like you see at the AT&T Center, while the Spurs are losing, attendance has dropped. And it's not great. They're 22nd in the league in attendance this year. I think that you could see a similar effect in voting. So while I think DeJounte probably deserves to be an all-star this season, unless the Spurs end up you know, climbing somewhere near 500, I'm not sure that he's going to get into it. But I do think he's a player, and, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I do think he's a player who at, at some point in his career he makes one, maybe two all-star teams. Because I think you know, in a different context, DeJounte Murray looks a lot better when he's asked to do less, when he's next to a true superstar, when he's got that supporting cast that makes his life easier. I don't think he has any of those things right now. So he's asked to do a lot. The numbers are inflated a little bit, but you can't really blame him for that. Like the Spurs can't put the ball in anyone else's hands as much as they do with DeJounte. So love DeJounte. He's been really good. 19, five and five uh, or 19. I'm sorry, 19, eight and eight for most of the season. And uh, let, let's talk about Derek. Let's go back to Derek for a second. So Derek's averaged roughly 19, five and five over his last six outings. And we talked about how he's maybe starting to turn a corner. Are you 100% sure or do you feel like he's going to be able to sustain this? Because I think he is. I think he's starting to turn that corner. But we did see him after he had a pretty good stretch, you know, have 12 against a team that I thought, you know, maybe they should have beat the Suns. And if he shows up, they probably beat the Suns. And then he comes out the next night on a back-to-back and it's like you would expect him to be tired. And then he, you know, 26 points, filled the stat sheet. Looked really good on both ends, so I'm ready to say he is, but I have a little hesitancy. Yeah, I, I think overall, I mean, his his November was was pretty disastrous. You know, considering 37 percent from the field, 29.5 percent from three. It's it's a little bit better here in in December so far. You know, 44 percent from the field, 30 percent from three. Um, so I think he's trending in that direction, but consistency is is the biggest key here. It's the biggest factor, and like you mentioned, you know, he just had 25 uh, against Golden State on the fourth. The night, the the game before, he had 12, and then after Golden State, like you mentioned against Phoenix, he has 12, but then he has 26. So I would you you would kind of hope he's kind of at that 18 or 19 a game range, you know, going forward, rather than a 25 and then 10, because you need more consistency out of a guy like that, especially when he's you know he has the ball in his hands. What is it at a 20 percent usage rate right now? And especially if he's improving, he's gonna you're gonna want him to have the ball a little bit more as well. So. I'm I'm hoping that he is. I think you know statistically it's kind of trending in that direction. But like you mentioned, consistency is going to be the biggest deal here. And um, I mean they're going to have an opportunity to do that, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, you know he has some matchups that might favor him a little bit. But yeah, I, I think he's trending in that direction. I'm not going to full blown say he is, but I think he is. 
Yeah, Derek White isn't necessarily 100% back, but he's trending in the right yeah. direction. And, and speaking of a guy who probably desperately needs to turn things around, Lonnie Walker IV, man, he has been a massive disappointment amid a contract year. Not exactly what I expected from him. You've seen his per-game numbers and efficiency slip virtually across the board. Man, why has he struggled so much? And do you think there's anything that the San Antonio Spurs can do to help him out, or, or does he just need to figure it out for himself? Man, no, I, it's that's a tough that's a tough question, and the reason is because you know coming into this into this season, I was like, I just I think what everyone wants Lonnie Walker to do, or at least what I think your expectations should be, is not the points per game and all this. People were throwing out you know random numbers like nineteen points a game or you know all this other nonsense. I think what you wanted to see is him just carve out a role and identity for himself going forward because he hasn't had that. I mean, throughout this year, whether it's you know oh we just want him to put things together or this that, and the third. Lonnie Walker didn't really have a really, you know, a, a tight-knit kind of game on the floor. So, at first, you kind of thought the pick-and-roll stuff was going to be his identity. You know, he was in the 98th percentile, 99th. It was all these outrageous numbers. And now he's coming back down to earth as of today, you know, what is this, December 8th. He's in the 59th percentile, 25.8% frequency as the ball handler, 41% shooting out of that. It's, it, I, it's tough, man, because you don't really know what's going on. It's kind of like he has... Like, he has all these ingredients for, like, an awesome dish, just like an awesome chicken parm, right? He has, like, everything. He has the chicken breast. You know what I'm saying? He has the panko, the oil. But, like, instead of making chicken parm, he just makes, like, grilled chicken breast. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense, you know? And you really hope that, you know, he can carve out a role eventually for himself. But just overall, I think his game in general just needs so much work. He doesn't look like a fluid – He looks. He's a, he's a great athlete, but he's not a fluid basketball player, if that makes sense. He's much more of just a – He's a superb athlete and kind of relies on that more than his actual game. He's not really a polished player on kind of either end right now. Now, you can talk about his defensive numbers, and I know there's some really good ones, but I would still say overall he doesn't have the impact that you were hoping that he would coming into this season. No, I, I agree with you. There's not really a lot of things that I can say are wrong with what you were just talking about with Lonnie Walker. I mean, one of the things that I think we really thought he was going to excel at when he came out of Miami, and it sort of showed over the first two seasons, even to last season to a certain degree, was be a good three-point shooter. And he just hasn't been that this season. I mean, we know that his shooting percentages are bad. But I went ahead and tried to figure out, you know, why has it been so bad? Because the shot looks pretty good. I mean, it looks fluid. It's a quick release. He looks confident most of the time when he lets it fly. And I was like, man, what is going on? What is dragging down his percentages? And honestly, I'm not a shot doctor. I, I couldn't really come to a solid conclusion. But the one thing that I know has drugged down his percentage more than anything is just his percentage on wide open threes. There's 131 players in the NBA this season who take at least two wide open threes per game. He is the 15th worst and that's an improvement. He was the second worst a week ago. And him shooting even just a little bit better, which is still bad, has been enough to bring it up, but not where you want it to be. It's 29.8% on wide open threes. He takes two and a half per game. And that just can't happen. You know, if that number's closer to where it was a year ago, 37%, I think his, his shooting splits across the board look better. He's probably more confident overall. But like you mentioned, I think there's a lot of things with Lonnie Walker that we see this elite athleticism, right? We, we know he can get by anyone. He can get to wherever he wants on the court. He can get to the rim. He can shoot from the mid-range. He can pull up from three. But he's just not consistent anywhere. Like, his percentages are bad from virtually everywhere on the court. And so I ask you this. 
is it maybe time that we start looking at him through a different lens? Like maybe he's not that 18 point per game guy. And, and personally, I never really thought that he was going to be that level of score. I sort of thought he might be like a, you know, a Jordan Clarkson where he comes in, he's a spark off the bench. You know, he can give you 18, 20 any given night, but most of the time it's going to be like, you know, 14, 15, 16. Maybe instead we should look at him as more of a Contavious Caldwell Pope, a guy who locks down on the defensive end and shoots wide open threes. But I don't know. Is it time to look at him differently? Yeah, I think I'm going to I'm gonna bring up a couple of points here. So last year I was looking at his numbers, and I remember writing a piece about, you know, what can Lonnie Walker do to kind of change the way he's been, you know, he's been perceived. What, what's, you know, how does he change his career arc right now, where it's going? And uh, one thing I always looked at was just the dribbles, like, what was he like when he took more than one dribble, two dribbles, three dribbles? And um, in general, like you mentioned, it doesn't matter how many dribbles he takes or he does not take or if he's open or if he's not open. It's just not working right now. It, it's just not. And not not necessarily right now. It hasn't really worked, you know, throughout his career, to be honest. This is kind of – he is what he is. Uh, and I think, you know, at times some people get carried away with, you know, what someone can be rather than what someone is right now. And – um you know, to kind of tie that together, I think, yeah, we do need to think of him a little bit differently. This is not, you know, oh, he can be Jordan Clarkson. Not to say that, you know, you were saying that, but just in general, like, this is not Jordan Clarkson. This is not Contavious Caldwell Pope. This is this is not someone who can who can be a sixth, seventh, eighth man on a on a on a good team. You know, I don't I don't think that. So I think where he stands right now is all that he's shown us is that he's an inefficient player on a bad team. Like that's what he is right now. So that's not to say he's done or his career's over or anything like that. But to say he's anything more than that, I think is just reaching because he hasn't shown that he's anything different than that throughout his entire career. I mean, even last year, we're talking about a guy who we thought, hey, yeah, he can shoot the three. I mean, he still shot 35% from deep. And if I'm not mistaken, that's still league average. That's a league average shooting percentage, which is an improvement. And I'm glad. I'm glad he's you know he's improving uh, on, a, on a higher volume, although it uh, dripped, uh, dropped a little bit. But... Still, the point remains, this is kind of he, what he is right now. You know what I mean? Like, And it's kind of been what he is throughout his career. So I don't think he's anything more than kind of what I just said of, yeah, we need to view him differently. We need to look at his career differently. Um, that's not to say he's cooked or he's done or anything like that. But as of right now, man, he's, he's, he's not a good player. I mean, he's just not. And I think he could be. There are definitely avenues for him to be a better player. And that's why I said I don't think he is Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And there was a point where I thought, you know, Jordan Clarkson was a player he could aspire to be like. But I think if you give him a much reduced role and you tell him, hey, Lonnie, like, and I don't know if you want it. Maybe you do want it. But for now, this isn't working out with what we're asking you to do. Because a lot of times I look at him with the ball in his hands. It looks like he's really forcing things at times, right? He like tries to do spin moves and he loses the ball in the spin move, you know, or he'll he'll try to put a dribble combination together and he'll lose the ball there. He's had a lot of turnovers where he's trying to burst down the sideline and he steps out of bounds. Like just simplify the game for him. And so when I ask, you know, what can the Spurs do to make it easier for him? I think just simplifying the game because he may be in the 59th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler, which is about league average. But I don't think we need to see him with the ball in his hands that often. I think the less he has the ball in his hands, the less he dribbles, the more simplified his game is, the better he'll perform. And maybe that's not in San Antonio. No, maybe he needs a, chain of a change of scenery. He's only 23 years old. It's not like he's 30 or you know 28 or 29. Like He's got time to turn things around. But you look at who's on this roster. Devin Vassell, uh, you know, you've got Josh Primo in the wings waiting, right? You got Trey Jones, Derek White, DeJounte Murray, Joe Wieskamp, like – eventually someone's got to go 
and you know he may be not, he may not go anywhere this season but that doesn't mean he's going to get to play that much right i mean we've seen his minutes decrease and decrease and he had that 21 point outburst against the warriors which you know good it helped them win the game but he came right back and he sort of fell down to earth again and it's been tough watching him play it's been tough watching him struggle you really like him as a human being we know that he's a good community service member we know that you know he's passionate about a lot of things within his own community not just san antonio but reading pennsylvania and we know that he's a good person like he stands for good things but you know you can be a great person and just not be a good basketball player and you're right right now lonnie walker simply isn't a good basketball player. And of course, there's still three quarters of the season left to turn things around. But I think the biggest difference from two seasons ago and even some of last season to now is confidence. I mean, he just doesn't look like he's there mentally. And, you know, that's it's tough. It's a contract year. He's hard on himself. I'm sure the coaching staff can be hard on him at times. And I'm sure he sees there's like I mentioned, there's other players waiting who could take his role at any given minute. So just tough stuff for Lonnie. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about when it comes to Lonnie? Yeah, I think another thing that I wanted to mention is I understand, too, whenever you mention, like, you know, maybe he doesn't need the ball in his hands, which is so crazy because as an athlete, he is so gifted. And if he could put, you know, if he could put the ball on the floor and be effective outside of just a straight line drive to the basket, if he could, you know, break someone down and you would think that he could. Right. That's the crazy thing, because he is so gifted, but it just it just doesn't work. And. I, I feel you know I feel for him and I, and this, this is not personal this is just hoops we're just talking hoops here but he, it just may not work out with the Spurs I don't know if it's the system I'm not going to go that far and say that you know that pop broke him or anything <laughs> like that like some people are saying um, because quite frankly I don't think he's shown enough on the floor to put a, like to even I carve out a role for himself or know like this is what Lonnie Walker does because realistically and honestly when you watch him on the floor on the offensive end. All you're looking for is just the athletic burst that he shows, man. Like, that's really what we've seen. That's consistent is you the athleticism pops, but not really a lot else. Like, everyone's mentioned that, oh, maybe if he could do this, you know, he could show off his passing gifts or this, that, and the third. But, man, we just haven't seen it consistently. And and it's not because he doesn't have the ball in his hands. It's, it's, it's not because of opportunity. It just kind of is what it is. And like I said, and like you've mentioned, it may not be here. His his home in the NBA, his his you know his his work probably isn't going to be in San Antonio after this year. I do want to ask you one thing before we close on Lonnie. As it stands right now, I have seen that some people think maybe they should re-sign him for this year for you know a year or two years because he'll be cheap. Because you know respectfully, he's not going to be a you know ten twenty million dollar player because he's cheap and he knows the system. For you, what do you think about that? And I will respond after you give uh, your portion. Yeah, I, I would be totally on board with that. I think San Antonio does have a crowded guard or backcourt lineup, whatever you want to call it. But I think there is value in knowing the system. And if he does figure things out, you know, eventually this season or next season or even in a couple of seasons and he adjusts to a role where he isn't, you know, expected to be the third or fourth best player where, you know, maybe you're OK with him being your eighth or ninth best guy then you have a pretty good value contract. And I think of it through this lens. John Hollinger wrote an article this summer talking about all the players from his draft class or all the first rounders from his draft class. And he gave a projection for what kind of contract they can expect to get at the end of this season if they were a free agent. And only four guys got league minimum. It was Lonnie Walker and three other guards from the first round who just haven't shown that much. And I think that's fine. If you can get Lonnie for something like that, that's a good value. I mean, think about why they brought Bryn Forbes back. Of course, Bryn Forbes has actually knocked down his three-point shots. He's been effective 
in in spurts this season where Lonnie's been mostly ineffective all year long. But I think if you can get a guy who, at least in my opinion, has been better defensively than Bryn Forbes, like I think that adds value to your team, especially if if Lonnie can start hitting those three balls. And the last thing I'll throw out there, and I know numbers are you know they're just that they're only numbers. You need some more context, obviously, than just a stat. But you look at some of San Antonio's individual defense numbers, man to man numbers. No one's been better on this roster than Lonnie Walker. And I know that's hard to believe, but in man-to-man situations this year, Lonnie Walker is holding opponents to 54 of 151 from the field. That's 35.8%. And and, and initially you probably think like, that's amazing. And it is, it's really, really good. But I think what the Spurs have done is they've, instead of, you know, saying, hey, Lonnie, go guard Bradley Beal, go guard Jason Tatum, go guard Kawhi Leonard, go guard Paul George. They're saying, Lonnie, Go, you know, get the fourth, fifth, fifth best guy on the other team and just do your job. And that's helped him. And he's also learned a little bit. He doesn't look as slow as a team defender. He's making the right rotations. Um, he, You know, he's still, he has a way to go there. But I think the Spurs have helped him on that. And, and that's why I say, like, I would be willing to bring him back because I think the Spurs can help him. I think they can simplify his system if they change their expectations for him, if fans change their expectations for him. So that's why I would bring him back. But, man, I, I want to know what you think. Yeah, I think for me, I understand that. And, and I think, too, like, if it's a league minimum deal for a year or, or whatever, if it's a really cheap two-year deal, now I totally get it. I totally understand. And I would be fine with it. The only point I think, you know, that fans or the only time I think fans or, you know, me hypothetically would, would quote-unquote have a problem with it is if he's taking away minutes from a guy like if Josh Primo is ready to play next year and, you know, he's getting 12 or 14 minutes or whatever – then I'd be like, okay, no, Lonnie probably needs to get that, to get a dip, you know, he need, and, and Primo needs to get that bump in minutes. But other than that, I think San Antonio, like we mentioned, they shouldn't be married to anyone when it comes to any of these players. But like you mentioned, he does know the system. If it's going to be cheap, yeah, I would, I would re-sign him. But I would say this too. I just hope that everyone's expectations for not only him, but for Lonnie Walker, but of all these guys can now, they can, you know, they can shift a little bit and realize Hey, not everyone on this team is Michael Jordan. All right, <laughs> we know this. Not everyone on this team is going to be an All Star. It's fine that they're not. They were, you know, you know, realize where they were picked, and let's move on. Maybe this guy can carve out a role for himself in a different, you know, fashion. Because that's all I think we all should want from him this year, or if he's here, you know, next year, is just for him to carve out and find an identity for himself on the floor. And that's kind of where all my my criticism comes from. Is just that. that that's that's what I think is most important for him going forward. Definitely. And, and let's go ahead and go in a completely different direction and talk about some of the Spurs news that's dropped over the last few days. So we saw Keldon Johnson sprain his ankle against the Knicks. And, you know, we know Devin Vassell is still doubtful to play against the Nuggets this weekend. He's missed five of the last six games. Keldon Johnson, we're not really sure the extent to which he's injured. Of course, we, we heard from Tom Orsborne from the San Antonio Express News that it's not something where there's structural damage. So it's probably not going to be a long-term thing. But how concerned are you about either of these injuries in terms of what the Spurs may be able to do over the next couple of games? I think with, with Vassell, I, I, everyone knows how much I like Vassell and I, how valuable I think he is. Uh, I think it's going to be tough, but they've done you know pretty well without him, all things considered. But losing Keldon on top of that doesn't help either. I think the Keldon ankle sprain thing is going to be pretty significant. Uh, I know you know it's no, no structural issues or anything like that, but man, those sprained ankles stink, man. And and it takes a little minute for you to kind of get that confidence back in them. Uh, I know me personally, running on the treadmill, you know, me my <laughs> athletic self running on the treadmill. When I get a little like you know a little pop in the knee or something, I'm like, oh okay, we got to hit the elliptical now. But yeah, same thing with Keldon, man. I think 
overall, these guys, they are valuable and they are important to this team. And they do have some winnable games coming up. So maybe they won't, you know, it won't hit them too hard, but it's, it doesn't make anything easier. I mean, Vassell, we know how valuable I think he is. Keldon as well. Keldon's a valuable piece like we know. I'm a little concerned about their injuries. Vassell's kind of weird because that it's, it's a quad injury, correct? Yeah, it's a quad contusion. Yeah, and that's that's kind of, it's, that's a kind of a, a funky injury as well. So I'm, I hope it doesn't nag a little bit. I know they're a little tough to kind of deal with, but concern, I'm, I'm just glad it's nothing, you know, nothing crazy like a broken ankle or a torn quad because then we'd be talking about something completely different. Yeah, of course, and knock on wood, I mean, it seems like these guys are probably going to make a return here pretty soon. So I'm hoping that the Spurs are able to pick up wins against the Nuggets this weekend. And again, we can talk about that a little bit later. We've got that on the slate for later. But another piece of news that dropped was Jock Landale going to the G League. Now, we've seen Josh Primo play some rotational minutes over the last couple of games, but I found this to be kind of a somewhat surprising move, right? I mean, the Spurs opted to keep him back, and maybe it's not so surprising because you ha- you're you know, you're down Devin, you're down Keldon, but to send Jock Landale to the Austin Spurs, a guy who, you know, he was a starting center on the Australian national team for a team that won bronze medal. He's a guy who, you know, you only brought him in for a league minimum deal, but he at least figured to give Drew Eubanks a run for his money as the backup center. And so far we've seen him playing eight games and pretty much exclusively in garbage time. So what are your thoughts on that move? Yeah, I think it's different when we talk about, like you mentioned, like Primo or like Wieskamp or something like that, because San Antonio does have a lot of guards. or So you would expect that. But, like, you know, respectfully, too, when it comes to, you know, <laughs> Jock Lindell, the Spurs front court is all is, is anything but, you know, solidified. So I don't understand the point in not, you know, playing this guy, you know, assigning him to the Austin Spurs. I mean, and like you mentioned, he has pro experience as well. Like, so I don't really understand it. I know Drew Eubanks isn't everyone's biggest fan right now. A lot of people are upset with him and this, that, and the third. But it's not even, you know, his fault that this is happening. I, I'm just kind of shocked that they're taking this direction, especially in a year where – Everyone knows it's a development year. I mean, they, they've all but said that. If, I, if They might have actually said that. You know what I mean? So I don't get the hesitancy to, to you know play guys like that, especially like Landell, like who I mentioned, has pro experience. So I don't know, man. That was, that was a little crazy. Yeah, and more than, than the pro experience, he has a different skill set that no one on this roster, as far as big men go, has. Like, maybe Zach Collins, when he comes back, is a three-point shooter, but let's be honest, he never really was a high-volume three-point shooter. He's a guy who shot 36% in 11 games in a, in a mostly injured season, right? So if that's what we're banking on, sure, it could happen, but we don't even know how much we're going to see of Zach Collins. But Jock Landale is a guy who shot above 38% in each of his last professional seasons from three, and they haven't given him a lick of time on the court during meaningful minutes, and So I know that Pop knows what he's doing, and I know that Pop can be stubborn at times, but I can't help but look at it and go, how is this guy not gotten on the floor? I mean, DeJounte Murray has been excellent in the pick and roll all season. I have no quarrels with him there, but they could help him out by giving him a pick and pop threat. Give teams another look, because I think the Spurs offense has been fairly predictable, and we can talk about that later. But I just think that the situation with Jock Landale, hopefully... He gets a ton of touches with the Austin Spurs here. Hopefully he gets into playing shape, if we want to call it that. I mean, he did have the concussion protocol and then the COVID protocol back-to-back. He missed a lot of the training camp, a lot of the preseason. So maybe this is what he needs to get in a rhythm, get into playing shape, you know, build some confidence. But eventually, I think it makes sense to get him on the court. I mean, you're a losing team. You don't really have a lot to lose. Like you mentioned, it is a year where you can experiment with ever. And it's probably not going to hurt you that much. So that was just something that I thought was sort of an interesting tidbit of news. Another thing that sort of 
I guess went viral over Spurs Twitter was Thaddeus Young saying that, you know, right now this situation is not ideal for me. I think that that quote needs a little more context. I don't know that it was presented in the best way by some of the people who shared it, but he was on the Alex Kennedy podcast. He did say that, but he also followed it up right with saying, you know, he understands what the Spurs are as an organization. He's going to continue to be the best pro, you know, while in their system. So what do you think of that? I mean, what's up with this situation as well? Because again, it's not Drew Eubanks' fault that he's playing a ton of minutes per night, and, and a ton, I guess, is relative, you know, 18 to 19 minutes per night. But also, like, Thad Young is a better player than him. I understand in certain matchups where you're undersized, but Thad Young just brings more to the table as a basketball player. Yeah, I think, too, with that quote, starting with the quote in itself, he's not lying, but he also didn't say it in a way, in my opinion, that made it seem like, he was like, the Spurs stink. The situation is not ideal for me. I think it's more so just kind of where they're trending and just overall him not playing very much. You know what I mean? I I think it's just more so kind of the team that, that's there right now and the kind of the direction they're going. But when it comes to just him in general, yeah, I feel for him because, like you mentioned, his minutes, his minutes are so crazy. Like, he's getting four minutes, four minutes, eight, six, 12, 14, 14, and then seven, and then doesn't play against the Knicks. Like, like how and especially for an older player like I'm sure he's feeling like man I only have you know this amount of time left like in a sense he is kind of wasting some of his final years in the NBA in San Antonio so I can definitely feel like I feel where he's coming from and I don't think he's wrong my my only concern from this situation is I hope San Antonio can move him because while I think it's trending and I think I guess I'm kind of jumping the gun here I think it's trending towards a buyout man I, I really do and uh, in San Antonio's case, that's probably again one of the you know worst situations of this you know whole DeRozan trade was you were thinking you can get something for Thad Young, but right now he's not playing. So I mean, where is his value really? You know, he's not playing at this uh, at this level that the, he was playing with with the Bulls. Like, it's kind of a mystery what's going on with Thad Young. You know what I mean? So ah, it's tough. I feel for Thad Young. I understand where he's coming from, uh, but at the same time too, it's it's. It's not Eubanks' fault that it's going down like this. It's not Jakob's fault. It just kind of is what it is. And I talked to Nate Duncan and John Hollinger when they hosted a space the other day, and I asked them about the situation. Like, who are potential trade partners for the Spurs? Who is interested in Thaddeus Young? Like, how does that situation play out in your eyes? Because, you know, John Hollinger used to work in the front office. Nate Duncan has covered the NBA for a while, so I wanted their opinion. And basically what both of them were saying, and obviously they don't have like sources inside the league for every single deal that they talked about, but they were saying there are teams that are interested in Thaddeus Young. There are a lot of playoff teams that are interested in Thaddeus Young, but they also realize San Antonio is at a disadvantage because they see this guy who, okay, he's you know 15th year, 14th year in the NBA, he's on the wrong side of 30, and the Spurs are losing and he can't get on the floor over, over Drew Eubanks. Other teams may realize that, okay, he's better than Drew Eubanks, but when you're making a trade, that's the sort of thing you can leverage against the Spurs. Like, okay, well, then why isn't he playing over Drew Eubanks? Exactly. And so they also have a history of buying out players in recent years. It started with Pau Gasol, continued with DeMar Carroll, and then went ahead and we saw it again last year with LaMarcus Aldridge. And teams, they know the Spurs' history over the last few years. So that combined with him not playing and not playing over a guy like Drew Eubanks Basically, what they told me is they wouldn't be surprised if it was a buyout, that there is a chance to be for a trade. You know, there are teams interested, but more than likely, this thing is going to end in a buyout for Thaddeus Young because the Spurs are more concerned with doing right by their player than, you know, getting a second rounder or a late first rounder in return. Not that they wouldn't want a late first rounder. Of course, they would want that, and they're going to try to get whatever they can, but they also want to do right by Thaddeus Young. So that's the only reason that I think 
it's probably going to end in a buyout. And I hope I'm wrong. Like, I hope I can eat crow in a few weeks or in a few months and say, hey, I was wrong. The Spurs were able to trade him and, you know, they turn things around. But right now, just from an outside perspective, uh, it, it doesn't look like great odds. And let's go ahead and talk about more trade hypotheticals, man. Let's do this because yesterday, Sham Sharania, he published a piece that said, you know, the Pacers want to start a rebuild and, and they're ready to part ways with Miles Turner and Karis LeVert and DeMontis Sabonis and Spurs fans. They swarmed to social media. They said, here's my hypothetical trade. Here's a trade machine. This is what we can get. And I didn't love a lot of the trades. I mean, I'll, I'll give fans a break. I know that they want to bring an all-star to San Antonio and they're not always privy to what that could cost the Spurs. But man, what would a DeMontis Sabonis trade look like? And does it even make sense for San Antonio to pull the trigger on that? No, I actually like Sabonis, but uh, no, it doesn't make sense to bring him in. It, 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 that causes even more questions. Like, think about it hypothetically. So Sabonis plays the four. That's where he would play here in San Antonio. You would bump Keldon to the three, which I kind of like Keldon at the four. I know that's kind of like a hot take, but I actually really like Keldon at the four rather than the three. I don't think he needs to get bumped down. Not only that, too, what what are you going to give up? If they're looking to rebuild, they're going to want your best young pieces. Yeah, and you just mentioned he's an all-star. And, you know, although I don't think he's an all-star in the West, He's he's a good player. Like, don't get me wrong, but they're gonna leverage that of like, well, he is an all star. Like, you're you know, why not give you know this, that, and the third up? You know what I mean? So, the Sabonis stuff, no, I don't understand that, and I do like him, but that fit stinks, man. I mean, respectfully, it stinks. Like, think about it. The Spurs already struggle as a shooting team. The spacing is gonna be terrible. Is Jakob gonna go? Jakob's gonna live in the dunker spot on one side, and then <laughs> Sabonis is gonna be on the <laughs> other side. Like, what's gonna happen? Like, unless you, unless Sabonis is start is gonna start chunking threes. Like, I don't understand. You know, I don't understand that. Uh, the better fit, in my opinion, kind of move off of him real quick is Miles Turner. But even then, that's still a little bit weird too, because like you would think hypothetically maybe they could do something like Dallas, where it's a uh, like Porzingis and Kleber or Porzingis and and uh, Dwight Powell, but. While Perto is a, is a great defensive player, he's not the athlete that Dwight Powell is. And not only that, too, like, Maxi Kleba shoots threes, showed his Porzingis. So, I mean, uh, I and, and even me, I was, like, playing into it. I was like, oh, Spurs, whatever. But, no, in all seriousness, I don't. I think San Antonio probably shouldn't, you know, be interested in either of those guys. I'm crazy, so I like Karis LeVert. So, <laughs> I just like people who can, you know, dribble the air out of the ball and put it in the basket. So, <laughs> I like Karis LeVert, too, but... No, man, considering where the Spurs are at, and there's a point you made to me on the phone yesterday that, that I'm not going to take from you because I know you're <laughs> going to mention it here. Uh, but, yeah, man, I, I San Antonio Spurs fans need to chill out on this one, man. I don't think it's it. I don't think it's this is the move. And I, and I think it's fair for fans to want to bring an all-star to San Antonio and they want to expedite the rebuild process. But I'll go ahead and throw a point out here that Matthew Tynan, formerly The Athletic, told me, and, and really all of Spurs' Twitter yesterday is, it's hard to make a deal work between two rebuilding teams because they want the same things, right? They're both looking for a top-end talent. They're both looking for draft picks, and they're both in search of the guy. And so this team has already told you, DeMontis Sabonis is not the guy. So the Spurs don't have the guy, so you can't offer them the guy for that. They can't put a package that can get them the guy from San Antonio because there is none to speak of. They also probably aren't going to be willing to move on from any of their picks and you probably don't want to move on from your picks because if he isn't the guy, then you're losing picks. And how are you going to bring guys in? Because people weren't coming to play with him in Indiana. It's a small market. San Antonio is also a very small market. And the young pieces, okay, well, you're able to get him and maybe you don't give up a lot of picks or anything like that. 
but you're going to have to give up young pieces. And to make the salary work, you're probably going to have to include Thaddeus Young. And as we mentioned, the Spurs want to do right by him. Why would they send him to Indiana? I'm not saying that it would be out of the realm of possibility. I'm sure if it was like a, a deal that they couldn't miss, of course they would do it. But who are you sending along with that? Are you going to go ahead and send Devin Vassell? Are you sending Keldon, Keldon Johnson as well? Because I don't know, but you may want to call me ridiculous if you're a Spurs fan. You can. Like, that's totally fine. We can have a discourse later. You know, I do a daily spaces on Twitter. If you want to hash it out there, we can do it. <laughs> he but wants to smoke. He wants to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know if it makes a lot of sense. If you have a roster that consists of DeJounte Murray, Derek White. Okay, you don't have Keldon Johnson anymore or Devin Vassell possibly. So who's stepping up? Is it Doug McDermott at the three? Then you got DeMontis at the four and you got Jakob at the five. And then your depth is depleted. Who else are you turning to? Lonnie Walker hasn't been that good. Trey Jones, I think, could carve his role out as a backup point guard, but he's still sort of figuring things out for himself in the NBA. Primo, probably a good shooter at the moment, but he's probably not a whole lot else, you know, in a bigger role for the Spurs. So I just, I don't know how it makes a lot of sense because you don't want to mortgage your future to pick up a third-tier star. You know, the third-tier star is the guy you should be searching for if you have a Luka Doncic. So like when they had Luka Doncic and they go chasing a Kristaps Porzingis, cool, do it. You can, you can get rid of some draft picks. You can get rid of some young assets if you're chasing that guy and they got him for a good deal. But the Spurs don't have that. So you have DeJounte Murray, who I think categorizes as a third or second tier star. You got DeMontis Sabonis, a third or second tier star, but you don't have a lot else. You're missing draft capital. You don't have a lot of young pieces. You're not a free agency destination. I just don't see how it makes a lot of sense for San Antonio. But I will humor fans. I have the trade machine open right now. We'll go ahead and take a look at what a <laughs> trade between the Spurs and the Pacers could be. So let's go ahead and work something out. So we got DeMontis Sabonis coming to the Spurs. We're not even going to talk about picks. We're just going to try to make this work financially in a way that would make sense for the Pacers and the Spurs. So you don't want to give up DeJounte Murray, right? No, no DeJounte. No DeJounte. No DeJounte. Is Derek White on the table? Yeah, but yeah, I just don't. I'm not gonna. Okay, I'm not gonna be realistic. So yes, Derek White is on the table. Derek yes. White's on the table, and if we're being realistic, the Pacers probably don't want don't a 27 want yeah. turning 28 year old Derek White. Like that's a little redundant with Malcolm Brogdon as well. So I'm gonna go ahead and say that's a no. They probably okay, no. don't want Thaddeus Young, right? Like yeah, maybe no as a as, as a salary filler if you include some young pieces. So we'll, we'll say maybe to Thaddeus Young. So you got okay. Thaddeus Young in there, and you still got five million dollars to make up. So Devin Vassell, he makes $4 million. Are you willing to include him? No. Okay, so Josh Primo, do you want to include him? He's $4 million as well. No. Keldon Johnson, $2.2 million. Are you okay to part no. with him? No. no. For Sabonis, no. So then it doesn't work financially. So if, if we're going to go yeah. ahead and force a guy to go out, like pick one between Vassell and Primo, it has to be one of them, or Lonnie. But I don't uh, know. If you include Lonnie, you're probably going to have to include someone else as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess Vassell. Okay, so and I love Vassell, and I, I don't, I don't want, like I don't want this. This is not fun for me. You so know we'll, I mean? we'll try this trade. Oh well, it says that the trade failed. There's still a million under. So I just don't know how you make it where you could you could toss in Drew Eubanks and it actually works. So we can do that. So you got Drew Eubanks, Thaddeus Young, Vassell going to Sabonis. I don't think that's super realistic. I don't think the Pacers even listen to that offer. They probably hang up the phone. And you know we've probably spent a little too much time talking about hypothetical trades, but. I don't want to be the guy who reigns on everyone's parade, and I know that's what I'm being right now, but there is no quick fix when you're in a rebuild. The quickest fix you can find is finding the guy 
We've established DeMontis Sabonis is not the guy. And he'd be nice in San Antonio's system. You know, Sam Vecini talked about it. He said, yeah, perfect Spurs player, but probably doesn't help them win. And I, and I agree. Like, it just isn't going to help you win anything meaningful. And I think if we want to get there, we got to be patient. We got to draft well. You got to have internal development. And if that guy becomes available and you think you can get him, you know, go for it. San Antonio is a small market, so you're probably already at a disadvantage, but then you can go for it. I think now you got to be a little more patient and just see this developmental process through. Tell me what you think. Yeah, no, I totally get you, and I totally agree. I was going to mention, too, just about since we're talking about trades, um, one thing I think everyone needs to realize is, well, not even realize, because you would think it's like common sense, and this isn't like a shot at anyone in particular, but we just got to be honest here, right? Thad Young you know, who we just talked about isn't playing, has relatively probably no value, no real, you know, you know, potent value. Lonnie Walker, who I've talked about, we, we were talking about him for 30 minutes, it probably feels like, you know, all these other guys that you're talking about trading, why in the, or how or why would that get you anything uh, of significant substance in San Antonio? I, I don't get that. So when we're talking about trades, like, like, like Noah just went through, you're not getting, you know, uh, DeMontis Sabonis for a shiny Drew Eubanks and a brand new out of the box, you know, Bryn Forbes. Like that's not happening. Like so, the only way you're going to get these players is if you trade significant pieces. And like I said about Vassell, how valuable he is, you know, wherever the rebuild goes, whatever direction, that's what what makes him so valuable. Same thing with Keldon. Why, you know, I just don't get it. Like I don't. So the only way I think the Spurs should make a trade is if you're getting that guy. You know what I mean? If Carl Anthony Towns hypothetically is available, then yeah, trade. You know, go out, go out and trade that. You know, this, that, and the third. But even then, even with a guy that talented, there's still questions on whether he can be, you know, the best player on a title contender. You know what I mean? So it's really, really tough to do a trade. And especially, I wouldn't be so, so you know, trigger happy to, to jump out the opportunity to give up everything you have for some people who just, quite frankly, aren't that guy. They're not the number one guy on a championship team. They're not the engine of the offense. Uh, whatever word you want to discuss, they're just not it. So that's my little rant. <laughs> I guess my rant's over, but that's kind of where I'm, <laughs> where I'm, you know, standing. That's fine. I agree with you. And let's go ahead and leave the, you know, fantasy trade land behind. And we'll take a look at San Antonio's last couple of losses against the Phoenix Suns, the New York Knicks. You know, I had the Spurs picking up a win over the Suns when I saw that Devin Booker was going to be out. I think Frank Kaminsky was out as well. Uh, Dario Saric was obviously out. He's got a torn ACL or Achilles, something like that. So he wasn't going to play. He never was going to play. But where did things go wrong in Phoenix? I mean, it seemed like a really winnable game. I know it was on the road, but it felt like a winnable game for San Antonio. Yeah, that that Phoenix game, that Phoenix game was tricky because even just overall, like Dejounte had a solid game. Derek, that was the Derek game we were just talking about where he kind of struggled. Same thing with Keldon a little bit. Overall, like they shot the three really well. Like it seemed like everything was going right. So I just honestly think they just kind of just got out muscled late in that game. It, it was it was interesting because I thought San Antonio had a chance to pull it off, but overall, I just think. They just kind of got beat by the better team. That's kind of what it was for me. That's kind of what I saw. And like I said, you would hope that, you know, they would win games like that in the future because that's a game that they probably should have won. But yeah, man, I, I think it just they just got beat by the better team on that night. Yeah, they had some poor three-point shooting. They c committed 15 turnovers, which was sort of uncharacteristically high of them. Phoenix thrived off those second-chance points. I mean, DeAndre Aiden and uh, JaVale McGee, they were dominating the board, so they were getting a lot of second-chance points. And then... Honestly, we can't ignore this. They had Chris Paul. Like, is he the same player he was five, six years ago? You know, no, he isn't. But he's still capable of taking over a game down the stretch. You know, those sort of caliber of players, they're going to be able to carry you to a win, you know, now and then. And 
he exposed the San Antonio Spurs. He got a lot of switches on to Jakob Pertl. He rocked him to sleep. He hit those mid-range jumpers. He's one of the most efficient mid-range shooters in NBA history. He's been one of the best clutch players over the last five seasons. Only one player has shot better in the clutch over him since those last five seasons. So they got beat by Chris Paul, and I'm okay with the loss. Like It was a close loss on a night that Derek White wasn't playing super well. This team is still, in my opinion, in a rebuild like they may be competitive, but they're not competitive for a title. And if you're not, then you're probably rebuilding. So I was okay with the loss. I think most Spurs fans were probably okay with the loss if they were being realistic with their expectations for this team. As for the Knicks lost, you know, I was also not super surprised that they didn't pick up a win. You know, it's a Sega Baba. You're playing the Knicks. The Knicks were there. They, they you know, they even talked about it that during the Phoenix Suns game that the Knicks are in the AT&T Center. They're chilling. They're practicing. They've been there for a while. You know, they've had two or three days off, and now you're going to have to go from Phoenix to San Antonio, and in less than 24 hours after the end of your game, you're going to have to turn around and play another game. So not super surprised that they won. I mean, a lot of the things weren't going in their favor as well, and we can talk about that too. But, you know, did anything catch your eye in this matchup? Because it just felt like, hey, it's the second night of a back-to-back. There's not a lot that you can do about that. Yeah, exactly. I, I, there's nothing that was significant where I was like, oh, wow, like I can't believe that happened. Just because, like you mentioned, second game of back-to-back, like the Knicks were chilling, they were doing their thing. you know. I, and when it comes to the actual game itself, they shot nearly 50% from deep. You ain't going to win many games in the NBA when the opposing team shoots <laughs> that well from three. Um, you know, the off, They won the offensive rebounding game. It, it was just overall, man, I think that's kind of just is what it is. Like They kind of got beat by the schedule a little bit there. It was a relatively pretty close game in my opinion, but Overall, man, I think I think the talent levels are, are a little bit different. And it's interesting, too, kind of talking about the Knicks. That was the team that everyone says San Antonio, you know, if they were to win, you know, 40 games or that crazy number, they'd have to adopt that, like, Knicks philosophy from last year. And, um, man, it was just interesting seeing those two teams go at it because you were like, man, maybe San Antonio can be that, you know, if, you know, everything goes right. But uh, we see where they stand. And, yeah, man, the Knicks, uh, the Knicks were the better team on that night. Yeah, and, and I know this isn't a Knicks podcast, but man, what were they doing this offseason? I mean, they had a clear yeah. identity built upon defense first, low uh. turnovers. You know, it wasn't the most efficient offense out there, but they had an identity, and they had a coach, Tom Thibodeau, who was pretty much stuck to that identity of defense first since he became a head coach in the NBA. And instead of bringing guys back like Frank Natilakina, Reggie Bullock, um, Alfred Payton, they let those guys walk. They brought in Kimball Walker. They re-signed Derek uh, Rose. They re-signed Alec Burks. And they got Evan Fournier. So it's like these guys have not been historically good defenders, although out of nowhere Evan Fournier has been really good on the defensive end this year. But it just went against everything that they had established last season. And, of course, you know, Mitchell Robinson coming back a little heavier after suffering an injury, being super foul-heavy, like that hasn't helped them too much either. But just a really – Really weird game from them. The only thing that I can say is, you know, this this game for San Antonio and New York, the Spurs had tired legs. The two big lineups killed them on the glass. Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and Alec Burke shot nearly 60% from three after, you know, the, the at least the first two of those guys, Randle and uh, Barrett, they, they've been awful from three all year. So it was sort of an anomaly from, from three for them. And the last thing that I think I want to bring up and talk about in depth is San Antonio's offense being a little bit predictable because you saw them handle DeJounte Murray pretty well, and maybe that was because he was a little bit tired. But I think San Antonio's offense is a little bit predictable. I'll talk about some of the stuff from my article, but I want to get your opinion on that first. 
Yeah, I, I think I think it is what it is, and I think that I mean that's a fact. I mean, I think for me and you especially, we've mentioned it many times that offensively, that's where the issues were going to come. Like defensively, I don't think anyone was worried or you know anticipated them being a, a terrible unit. But offensively, like we mentioned, everyone kind of has a similar skill set in the sense of like they have a ton of people who like to get to the rim, but like nothing else. You know what I mean? Like San Antonio, even as, even like with Derek White struggling and Lonnie Walker, like all these other players. Like, the pick and roll is going to be heavy pick and roll, like we know. You know, they haven't been – I know, like, Derek White was really struggling from that. Lonnie Walker was, especially now. So they they really don't really have a, an identity offensively. And I think that's kind of what you see. Like, offensively, they play like a team that doesn't have, like, a true engine or a true, like, quote-unquote, like, best player. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of a, a – it looks like a young team. So – I definitely get where you're coming from. I definitely do think that the offense is a little bit like vanilla is the term that I use like for football. I don't know if you want to use that as well for the NBA, but yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I love so it. I love it. <laughs> I think that's kind of just what it is. It's just, it's a very basic offense and it, it, it can get kind of stale pretty quickly, especially against teams like New York that like, although they're not, they're not having the best defensive season like they were from a year ago, teams like that, you know, Tom Thibodeau t- coach teams are going to eat that up all day. So yeah, I think, uh, I think it is a little bit, a little bit vanilla, but you know, hopefully once San Antonio's, you know, development gets in, you know, into gear, maybe Primo can offer something in a year or two. Uh, we'll kind of see something different. Yeah. And, and I do want to talk about their offense just briefly because I had some fans on Twitter and some people from Pounding the Rock who, who are readers. And I appreciate every single one of those people who interacts with me. But they said, you know, how can San Antonio's offense be bad if they have the fifth best field goal percentage in the league? But, you know, field goal percentage is not the, the end all be all of an efficient offense. You know, Synergy has them as the 25th worst half-court offense, and they measure that by points per possession. And you're going to generate more points per possession if you have a versatile offense that can shoot threes, that can get to the free throw line, that can hit mid-range jumpers, that can finish at the rim. And San Antonio's office, I think, is one that teams invite. They like playing San Antonio because they can game plan for that, right? I mean, they're fairly predictable. We've seen them take... You know, only one team, the Grizzlies, has taken more non-rim field goal attempts in the paint. And that's floater range. So that's a hard shot. Like the Spurs have been really good there, but teams are happy to give you a deep floater as opposed to letting you get all the way to the rim. San Antonio has the fifth most mid-range attempts this season. You know, I'm not saying the mid-range shot is dead. Like it's certainly useful. But when you have a lot of pick and rolls run by a guy like DeJounte Murray, who is not a threat to pull up from three, they're always going to go under the screen. And if they don't, and they let him have that mid-range shot, it's not that big of a deal. You know, he's shooting below league average on that right now, and, you know, I expect that to go up, but as long as he's shooting below league average from mid-range on a high volume, they'll let him have that shot. You know, can he hit Jakob Pertl in the pick and roll with a, with a beautiful bounce pass, with a beautiful pocket pass? Of course he can, you know? He's, he's very proficient at doing that, but he doesn't have anybody to stretch it out to the three-point line, and that's where, you know, we talked about it earlier. Maybe Jock Landale could help a little bit. Maybe Zach Collins could help a little bit. I would even love to see Keldon Johnson and, and uh, Doug McDermott get involved as role men, even if it's like a pick-and-pop situation at times. Like, It just feels like teams, when they see San Antonio, they go, okay, do whatever you want. I mean, if that's the shot profile you want to have, go for it. We're not afraid of that. We'll let you have that. And the last sort of numbers I want to talk about here, you know, DeJounte Murray has run the eighth most pick-and-rolls in the NBA this season. And out of the 32 players who have at least 130 possessions out of the pick and roll, he's dead last in points per possession. And again, that doesn't mean that he isn't good in the pick and roll. You know, it's important to have context and have the film and understand what's going on in the game. And yes, he has been a really good passer there. He can hit those bounce passes, the pocket passes over the top. You know, he can knock down the mid-range jumper, although it's been below league average. 
but those are shots that teams are willing to give up because they don't generate that many points, especially if you can't get to the rim. You know, that factors in as well. Like DeJounte Murray, he has more touches than, you know, everyone in the NBA but four players. But he doesn't get to the line very often. And if that's the case, like guys who have the ball in their hand that often, you think of Luka Doncic, you think of guys like Bradley Beal, uh, you know, even Damian Lillard, you think of guys like James Harden, LeBron James, like even out of that group of guys, they get to the free throw line at least five times per game. And DeJounte Murray barely gets there two times a game. He's just not a guy who absorbs contact or really seeks out contact like that. And he's become an excellent finisher at the rim, but he doesn't get there that often. You know, so I just think with San Antonio's offense, you know, it, it may have some really nice efficiency to it where they have that high field goal percentage, but man, it's predictable and teams can game plan for that every single night in a way that's different from guys who can stretch you out to the three point line, who can shoot off the dribble from mid range and three and get to the rim. And, you know, that's why I say San Antonio needs the guy DeJounte Murray. Don't want to take any credit away from him. He has been fantastic. I think he is blossoming into a borderline all-star, a guy who could be your third, maybe second best player on the team, but the Spurs need the guy. And I just, you know, I don't know how they get that. Yeah, they need someone at, at all three levels that can do it, man. And like you mentioned, too, if he was more of a threat from three, maybe that maybe that would open up a little bit for him. But even in the pick and roll, as, as much as he runs it, you know, uh, you know, NBA stats has him at a 43.3% uh, frequency rate. You know, he's only scoring at a, at a 36.4% frequency rate, which is considering I think there's 88 people here in this in this list. He's near the 70s. You know what I mean? So. Overall, I think I think DeJounte is, like I said, he's getting better. He's ascending. We understand that. We know that. But right now, the Spurs offense is vanilla. Like that, It kind of is what it is. And I think it's really not shocking to me. I don't know if it's shocking to you, but I kind of predict, I mean, we kind of all predicted this. Like, you know, everyone's skill set is pretty limited in its own little way. Some of them really like to get to the rim, like Lonnie Walker, uh, Keldon Johnson. You know, some guys can do a little bit of other things. But there is no polished, versatile skill set offensively, in my opinion, on this team. And they play like it. I mean, I think that's what we've seen. Yeah, I mean, 25th worst half-court offense in the league, fifth best transition offense, which makes sense. They first force turnovers. They get out in transition. They run the fast break well. They're really efficient there. But, you know, there's only so many possessions that are generated off, off of a turnover, you know, in the fast break in transition. Like, that can't be the majority of your offense. And I think the Spurs have done a really good job, you know, all things considered. Right, for a team like the Spurs to be successful, you've got to do the things that they've done on most nights. So to execute, you've got to be able to not get your your opponent on the free throw line. You don't want to commit a lot of fouls. You don't want to commit a lot of turnovers. And, you know, if you're, if you're going to take shots that are considered low percentage, like the mid-range jumper or, or the floaters, you better be damn good at it. And they have been. So, you know, they've done everything that they can do to have a successful recipe for their game plan, but their game plan is just so hard to win with. And so I think even on nights where they've been, you know, close to perfect and barely lost, that's the result of how they play the game. Right, It goes against most of the principles of modern basketball, and I know that they've moved away from the mid-range shot a little bit this season. They were first uh, in, in the league over the last three seasons. They were getting kind of high up there earlier this season. They were as high as third, and now they've dropped down to sixth. But you know that's still pretty high relative to the rest of the league. So you know the Spurs are doing what they can given their, their personnel, given their strengths, but eventually, if they want to be competitive, they've got to find the guy. I don't know how they do that. I think they're too good to be bad enough to get that top pick. They're also too bad to be, you know, a real title contender. But we've seen those lottery odds flattened since they've been flattened. 
the worst team in the NBA has not gotten the first overall pick. We've seen teams like the Grizzlies, like the Pelicans, jump up in the lottery and they get a, a jaw or a Zion. And, you know, maybe the basketball gods favor the Spurs for doing it, you know, the quote-unquote right way because, honestly, I just don't see any other way. And there's some guys who you want to get at the top of this draft because it is a top-heavy draft as of right now. And I just don't know if the Spurs are going to get that unless they get lucky. But, hey, you know, maybe they do. And, that, and that's all we can hope for. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of where you're at right now. And I, I honestly think, man, like, it's unfortunate that we're that we're here, but it's a good thing. Embrace it. Like, it's unfortunate that you know, you know, we it's, Spurs fans are so used to winning, right? And they're this this kind of conversation, this kind of talk, you would never think would be going on. But it is. It's here. Embrace it. Enjoy it. You know, and and kind of go on for the ride, man. Because some of these players, they are growing, and they're growing right before your eyes. You know what I mean? And all they need is, like you mentioned, that one piece, that one centerpiece. To really kind of you know you know make this whole group better to really elevate the guys around them and then you're cooking with a lot of oil. There's a lot of chicken going on right now, so that's all they need, man. <laughs> <laughs> and like hopefully that eventually comes through internal development or drafting or maybe they get lucky in the lottery, something like that. But you're right. I mean that's the one piece they need. They have the good infrastructure. I mean you take a Luka Doncic or you know a Devin Booker or maybe even someone like a LeBron or a Zion or whoever that top level talent. You bring them to San Antonio, things start looking a lot better. So. We'll just keep our fingers crossed, but we'll go ahead and end things out here and, and talk about the last five games or the next five games, rather, on their schedule. So I'm going to go ahead and list those games off to you, and then you're going to tell me you know, how many games you think they win and why. So the Spurs face the Nuggets at home on the 9th and the 11th. Then they face the Pelicans at home on the 12th, the Hornets at home on the 15th, and then they hit the road to square off with the Utah Jazz on the 17th. How many games do they win in that stretch? I think it's going to be really tough for them to beat Denver twice. So I think that they split with Denver. I think they beat New Orleans. I think they might lose. I think they lose to Charlotte and they lose to Utah. Denver's, even though Denver's kind of rocky, they're really up and down. It's really hard to beat teams back to back in any sport. Um, so maybe my principle, my, 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 my principle alone on that is kind of what's really making me lean to the fact of I don't think they're going to beat, you know, the same team twice. New Orleans, I think they're they're kind of a, a dumpster fire right now. Uh, I don't, that that whole that whole place. I don't know what's going on. I don't I don't know. If maybe maybe Brandon Ingram needs to come to San Antonio. I don't know, but <laughs> New Orleans is kind of all over the place. I like the I like the Hornets right now as well. Uh, Fourteen and twelve. I really like Lamelo Ball. Just overall, just I like where they're trending. Uh, even though they're 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 kind of a little kind of fighting with 500. I think that they might have enough to beat San Antonio and then Utah. We know what Utah brings. Uh, I don't think that needs to be, uh, you know, explained. That's also a road game. I know Utah's really really tough to beat on the road. Uh so I think what is that? That's 1 2 They're so I think they'll go 2 and 3 over this stretch. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and be an optimist and I'm going to go ahead and say they're going to go 4 and 1 with their lone okay. loss coming against Utah. And I'll go ahead and explain a little bit why I think that they're going to pick up these wins. So you know, it's totally fine if you're not 100% in the loop with like every single NBA news, and that's totally fine. But what I'm looking at here is they've got Austin Rivers, they've got Bull Bull, Nashawn Highland, Michael Porter, P.J. Dozier, and Jamal Murray out. Three of those players are out for the season with injuries. The other three are out with COVID. And so you even have Nikola Jokic listed as a game-time decision with a forearm injury here against the oh, Spurs. I did not so see that. I think the Spurs <laughs> pick up the first win, and because they're so depleted – 
I think they pick up a second win. That's the only reason I think that they beat the Denver Nuggets back-to-back, right? So it's not that I think the Spurs are like an, a, a crazy good team or anything like that or they're going to catch you know lightning in a bottle or anything, but they've got a favor- favorable schedule right there. Then you look at the Pelicans for the reasons you mentioned. I mean, they're a dumpster fire. I mean, n- there's nothing else that needs to be said there. The Spurs can beat them. Zion's not there. You know, Brandon Ingram may get 40, but who else is performing on that roster? You know, Jonas may, may go crazy, but... They don't have a lot of depth. I don't think that they're going to lose that game. And as far as the uh, the Hornets go, really the same thing applies. I mean, the Hornets right now, they have LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, and Mason Plumley on COVID protocol. So, I mean, if the Spurs are going to play them minus those players, that's three of their best players. That's two of their best scores, two of their best facilitators. They're starting center. Like, I just don't see the Hornets having enough to make up for it. And maybe Miles Bridges and Gordon Hayward have a crazy night, but... I mean, who else do they have on that roster? James Booknight is not carrying them to a dub. So that's the only reason I think that they go 4-1. and one. Obviously, you know, the Jazz game, that's a tough one. That's a real team, like a real team that is healthy, at least for now. You know, I know that things could change between now and then, but the Jazz are healthy. They look good. I think they've been kind of flying under the radar because you've got other teams at the top of the conference, like the Suns going on that crazy 18-game winning streak. You had the the Warriors who've been going crazy, minus Clay, minus Wiseman, minus Otto Porter Jr. And, you know, the craziest thing is he's coming within like six three-pointers or 16 three-pointers of the all-time record. So, like, there's a lot of hype around those teams, whereas the Jazz, they're just sort of there, but they're still really good. You can't discount them. So, four and one is my prediction. I think the Spurs have a good chance to win. Of course, you know, maybe they disappoint a little bit, but it feels favorable, and they follow that up with the with the Kings. So, maybe they, they get a, a five and one over the six-game stretch. Yeah, yeah, no. If if my whole precedent or my whole deal was if if Jokic is healthy, no, I think that they're gonna get they're gonna split. I think if Jokic plays both or in one of these games, I think that the Nuggets will win one. I think they'll split. Now, if the Hornets are missing Lamelo, Terry Rozier, and Jaden McDaniel's, no, the the Spurs are beating the Hornets. <laughs> my whole deal was was really on yeah, Lamelo and Rozier playing. Uh, no, nah, no, nah, no, no way, no way. With this, I don't think the Spurs are losing to the Hornets without those players. Uh, but yeah, I think if Jokic is there, uh, the MPJ news was crazy. I remember hearing that. What was it last week that he was getting? He had yeah. the yeah. Like, I I still think though Jokic is good enough to get you one of those. The Hornets, like I mentioned, even though me and you were both Booknight guys coming into the draft, uh, no, I don't think he's ready to drop seventy yet. <laughs> so I don't think that's going down like that. But yeah, like you mentioned, Utah's a really good team on the road. Like yeah, no, nah, I'm sorry, I don't think the young Spurs are ready for all that. Yeah, that's tough. And and I think your prediction is fair. I think my prediction is pretty fair, even though it might be a little bit optimistic. But before we close things out here, I want to go ahead and give you a chance to plug anything that you want. You know, let Spurs fans know where they can follow you on social media, where they can find all of your wonderful written content, both NBA and NFL. So the floor is yours. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me, bro. I really, really appreciate you. Um, I love talking Spurs hoops with you. So anytime you need <laughs> me, man, you just holler at me. Um, y'all go ahead and follow me on Twitter at D.A. Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. Uh, I do a lot of Spurs stuff, a lot of Washington football team, Texas State sports. I, I do it all. So just holler at me and uh, yeah, give me a follow. <laughs> Yeah, and thanks again for joining me, and thanks to everyone who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over here at Pounding the Rock, including Dame, who do an amazing job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.